Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. Get it on Stitcher. Get it on iTunes, Pulp Hockey, or PulpHockey.com. You can also get it on there. And uh, we thank everybody for listening. Great feedback so far. Just did a Jamie McLennan, Doug Smale podcast, and uh, getting good reviews and good listens. So thanks, everybody, for, for pitching in. I appreciate it. Two under, go to the number two, UNDR, the best man's underwear out there. Joey Pouch, no drip. No drip tip. Uh, Ferraro 20 save you 20% on, on two under.com. Check them out. A lot of NHLers uh, use two under as their underwear of choice. And uh, so should you, damn it. All right, everybody. Um, I'm Steve Mathis with me on the line. A guy who, uh, who made a lot out of a career for not being drafted, almost 1,000 games, played for the Sharks, the Bruins, Avalanche, Thrashers, uh, Jeff Audgers. What's up, Jeff? Thanks for doing this. Well, thanks for having me. It's. Uh... It's good. I know you told me earlier you're living in Las Vegas, and right now being back in Saskatchewan, I wish I was in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, really, right? How How is Saskatchewan right now? Cold and windy, I bet. Well, it is, but you know what? We've had an unbelievable fall. Uh, you know, we've had great weather, and uh, it's just starting to turn a little bit. We're getting some snow here, and just kind of a little reminder of what's to come. Yeah, really, right? I know. It's I don't miss that. I've been gone for a while, and when I go back home to Winnipeg, I'm like, oh, man, this is terrible. It's just terrible. (laughs) (laughs) The only good thing is you can play hockey outdoors. That's about it. So Yeah, no, go skate anytime you want. Uh, What are you doing now? What is Jeff Hodgers up to these days? After you retired, uh, what uh, you went back home for. You're from Saskatchewan. and What's been going on? You know what? I'm back home and I'm farming. Uh, I'm looking after uh, a 2,000-acre organic uh, beef and grain operation. Uh, It's a family farm. Uh, I got two boys of my own and uh, both playing hockey and they are actually the fifth generation on the farm. So mm-hmm. the farm has been uh, in our family a long time and something mm-hmm. that uh, I always wanted to do. You know, when I was growing up, there was only two things I ever wanted to do. I wanted to be a hockey player and I wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> and uh, luckily for me, I was, I fooled them and got to play some hockey and now I'm, uh, and now I'm back farming here at home. Fifth generation. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's real cool, you know, and it's something that uh, I, you know, I was really happy when I could bring my boys back after I'm done and just kind of raise them on the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they get to work side by side with the grab every day and just kind of see what hard work's about. And it just kind of, when you come from the farming background, when you go on, you, you really appreciate everything because coming from the farm, you know, it's a lot of hard work. You're taught the value of stuff. And, you know, for me, I was really glad I was able to share a bit of that with my boys when they're growing up. Yeah. No, that's cool. Good to hear. What part of Saskatchewan? Or how far are you from, like, say, Regina or Saskatoon? Uh, we're in the southeast corner. I'm about uh, two and a half hours uh, south. We're pretty much straight east Regina, just just inside Saskatchewan border, along the Manitoba border. Um, you know, a little farming town called Spy Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I'm at now. Right? Is that where you were from? Out that area? Like all that? Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly where I grew up. And actually, uh, when we went back, 
we actually, you know, we spent a little bit of time when I first retired in uh, the original house that I grew up in, and there was five generations had dinner at that, that same table, and so went right back to the roots, and you know, still doing the same thing as my great grandfather did. You know, we're running some some cattle, cow calf operation, uh, growing some grain. We, you know, we made the transition uh, to organic, so everything's done. Yeah, you know the way we believe in you feel good about and it's uh you know it's a market that's really growing and it's kind of an exciting time to be in the organic market especially you know the the beef and the grain industry there's a lot of good things happening Mm -hmm. and it's a challenge you know i think when you're when you're done playing you need something because you know let's face it you're never going to find a job like playing the national hockey league or playing pro sports you you just aren't yeah (laughs) you have to come to realize that i I think that's a lot of trouble a lot of guys have you keep searching for something that's gonna right be the same and it's not but for me i was lucky because i was able to transition to something that i had a real passion for and i have a passion for farming like i wake up every morning and i can't wait for the day to start and get out there and whether we're doing stuff with the cattle or putting different crops in or taking the crop off um, you know, I get excited about it. So it's it's really made my transition from being a pro athlete. It, it's always hard. It's always difficult, but it definitely helped me through it. I can imagine. Like I don't know you, but look, sounding you know, you sound like you obviously look. You got, you made a lot of money, and you're still farming, and I, I admire that. That's gnarly. But there's got to be times in an NHL dressing room. You're captain of the Sharks. You looked at some of these guys and went, "You don't have the slightest clue what real life is like." <laughs> you have no Actually, idea. That, that that might be more of the wives' room too, but I'm not. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, right? Yeah, no, but no, it is. You know, like from the uh, from the way a guy was brought up, and just it's a different. You right? You really there's a lot of people that just really don't understand where things come from, like how that piece of beef gets on your plate, or where that milk gets in your glass, right, right. the work it takes, or how it gets there. So, oh, like I said, I I don't want to harp on it a whole bunch, but it was. Like, I'm super happy to be back farming. Yeah, that's cool. No, that's good to hear. Um, and also, too, organic, man, taking over grocery stores. I know we're getting off topic here, but organic's not a bad idea to get into, like you said. It's probably a little more work. It's a little more regulation, uh, things like that, a little more, you know, keeping your uh, eye on the ball. But uh, around here, anyways, um, more and more groceries, part of the grocery stores are taken up by organic things. So it seems like it's, it is popular, like you said. No, it's huge. I think everybody is getting more and more conscious of what they're putting in their bodies. Yeah. And you know what? It, it used to be, I know, like, you know, I was like at home, when you used to grow up, everybody had an uncle or grandpa that farmed, so you're kind of, everybody had a piece of the farm. Yeah. And that's getting fewer and fewer people that kind of understand where their foods come from. So they, they want, you know, a, a guarantee mm-hmm. that what they're putting in their body is healthy, and it's not full of chemicals, and it's not, you know, it's kind of what they want to eat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, lots of t- discussion about that, and it seems like if people are going that way, they're willing to pay a little extra, you know? It, it, at least it seems like that way. So. Yeah, um, that helps make a bit of a niche market. How much do how much you strap the blades on now? How much do you play? Do you do, do anything at all? Well, you know what? Up till last year, I still played uh, competitive hockey, like full-body contact with the uh, oh, hockey league at home, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of what I grew up watching, you know what I mean? Like a, yeah, yeah. a small town had a senior hockey team, and you have playoffs, and it's, it's for keeps. You know, and <laughs> yeah. uh, you're trying to keep up to the young guys. And finally, at the end of last year, the body just said, stop. 
no more. Yeah, you, yeah. you are done. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So, so now I'm coaching the team. So you got you got a lot of like a lot of mileage on that body. The way you played the game, there's no doubt. You know. You know, I I, I figured I did pretty good. I fooled them this long in the NHL, and they're yeah. able to come back and and actually play competitively. So no, I got uh, I got a lot out of hockey. I and enjoyed every minute of it. You. Uh, I don't know how much how much you watched the game. Oh, actually, let me ask you this. So I just did a podcast with Doug Smale. I don't know if you know who that is. Played for the Jets in the mid-80s. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. Very well. So I said, hey, Doug, are you like, are you a Coyote alumni or are you a Jet alumni? How does that work? And he didn't really know. And, I, uh, you know, Dr. Ray Newfeld, and he didn't really know either. So you, you're a thrasher, right? You played with them in the, in the inaugural season. Uh can you go to the Winnipeg? Are you are you a Jet alumni? Are you are you? What are you? How does that work for a guy like you? <laughs> yeah, Matt, I'm not sure how they do that. Right. With it, but you know what? Uh, fortunately for me, uh, I grew up playing junior hockey with uh, their general manager Kevin Shoveldayoff. Yep. And uh, the assistant manager Craig Heisinger was actually uh, part of that Brandon Weeking organization, also. Oh, he was. I so, didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So the ties are there. So. Uh, and Winnipeg for me is our closest NHL center. It's sure. only four hours from the farm. So yeah. uh, fortunately for me, when I when I go to Winnipeg, I have people through the Jets that that I know. So I have a connection there. And but as far as uh, the yeah. actual alumni, I'm, I, yeah. I don't know. You're like, hey man, I paid for the Thrashers, and now they're in Winnipeg. <laughs> hey, I'm <laughs> yeah. re- retiring my jersey. Put my jersey up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah, and then Smale was like, well, I don't know. I think I guess I'm Coyote alumni. <laughs> I'm like, see, it's all really confusing. So, yeah. Um, how much do you watch the game now? How much do you keep up on it? How much do you follow it? You know, I watch it quite a bit. Um, you know, I have my youngest boy is uh, playing junior hockey in the Western Hockey League, so I'm watching junior hockey lots. And uh, you know, when you get home at night and stuff, uh, you always turn on a game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, it's it's nonstop here with Sportsnet and, yeah. and TSN and, you know, the coverage. So you're, you kept up to date. You know, I have an interest in, I watch the games and, you know, you see guys that have come up to the junior ranks and see how they progress in the national hockey league and the guys that make it don't make it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I watch the game quite a bit. So I want to ask you as a guy who, uh, who could play the game, but also could throw down. You, I looked at your uh, hockeyfights.com by the way, you've got quite a bit. I want to quiz you on it later, but as a guy that can throw it down, um, we're at an all-time low with fighting. Um, I think I follow the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're my favorite team. They, they, I don't think they have a fight this year. Um, there's more and more guys. That, you know, obviously, you were never an enforcer per se, but they're out of the game. Um, it's it's a different game. What do you think? How do you feel about that? I mean, again, as a guy that you know answered the bell to teammates and uh, and and you know stepped in and did things like that. What what are your thoughts on that? Are we is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? What do you think? You know what? Um, I'm disappointed. Um, you know, I like the game in the area that I played. Mm-hmm. You know, we had unbelievable skill. Like, when I played, I was lucky. I, there was guys like Gretzky and Lemieux and Iserman and Bork and Sackick. And, you know, the list goes on of, of all the great players. Right. Had unbelievable skill. And it was also an extremely tough game where guys were, were made accountable. And, you know, you look at the... the the tough guys and forces that played like Colbert and McSorley and the, the list goes on. Like it was, it was an era where you had unbelievable skill and yet you had all these character guys. And mm-hmm. I think that's what I, I, I kind of think maybe is missing a bit is that character and those guys that played that role that anything to, to win and looking after teammates and keeping people 
accountable and honest. And, you know, when I look at the game now and there's a bad hit, mm-hmm. it's just everybody's just going to wait. Okay, let's uh, let's see what they're going to rule on this, how long this guy's going to get suspended. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas when I was playing, if there was a bad hit, it was handled three seconds after. Yeah. You know, and now it's just kind of gotten to the point where it's just you wait for the phone call. Your your enforcer is really your cell phone because your GM is going to call <laughs> the, right. you know, whoever is doing discipline and say, How, you know, this guy needs to be suspended instead of, you know, making guys accountable for their own. So, so that part disappoints me as far as, you know, the actual game, the way it's played and the speed and the skill. It's great. Like these yeah. guys are, are unbelievable. And, you know, I got appreciation for them. But I miss, and I think, you know, having that little bit of courage and accountability isn't a bad thing in the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I do miss it, and I wish it was there. Yeah. One thing that drove me nuts in, in the recent years, anyways, is a completely clean hit, and a guy would just run you and drop the gloves and start pounding on you. And, you know, fighting, hitting is in hockey, and there's some great hits, and I, that part I don't miss. You know what I mean? I, I don't mind a scrap when it's done for the right reasons, but the stuff about like a totally clean hit and a dude just jumps you. I felt like that, like a little bit like ju- those guys contributed a little bit to the getting out of the game because I think teams and everyone was like, okay, we don't need that. Do you agree? Or what, what's your thoughts on that? Did that, did that drive you nuts like me sitting on the couch? You know, a little bit. And, but I did appreciate it mm-hmm. because, you know, from the other side of it. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. When, when, when the guy is going to make that hit, if you know in the back of your mind what's coming, mm-hmm. you're some guys are going to think twice about making that hit and and hurting one of your teammates. And for for me, it was all about protecting your teammates. Mm-hmm. So if you can make the opposition a little uneasy, or say, you know what, I got a chance to really run this guy over, mm-hmm. but if I do, this is coming. So there's a difference between crazy and stupid, right? Right. So you know. So that fine line. So if you're going to run somebody over, you're going to be accountable. So I guess I can, yeah, it's part of the game. It's a clean hit. Mm-hmm. But I also want guys to be thinking about if if I step up and do this, mm-hmm. this is what's coming because because I could you could hurt somebody too. Right, right. Yeah. No. Well, well said. Like I said, I'm a guy on the couch, so you, you tell me. You know what I mean? Like it makes sense for sure. So, um, hey, you did some uh, color commentary for the Thrashers after you retired. Uh, what did you like that? Did you think about doing more media stuff, or was the farm just calling? You know what? It was. It was a matter of uh, I did it for two years, mm-hmm. and I actually had no chance to stay on for three years. And uh, my boys at the time were living in Kansas City, and with their mom and they gave me a call and say, you know what, dad, we want to come live with you and we want to go back to the farm. Yeah. And you know, so that to me, that was a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, yeah. like I love doing the, the color and the people you meet. And you know, for me, every time you went to the rink, you're running into the guys that you sure. used to play with. And you know, just, it was good people and you're doing a game that you loved. And, you know, just the opportunity to come back and, you know, like I said, raise my boys on the farm where I wanted to have them. And, uh, you know, so we made that choice. And I was lucky. I'm, I'm doing some color uh, back in Saskatchewan, Manitoba here for, mm-hmm. uh, for, T- for Shaw TV yep. for the Western Hockey League. So I've been able to stay involved in it that way and, you know, scouting and coaching. Um, but no, I, I probably, if that wouldn't have happened, I probably would have stuck around. Definitely kept doing the color because yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Right. It's a way to stay in the game, right? Like look at Ferraro. He loves it. Loves to travel. Yeah. Keeps the, never stopped, yeah. you know, 
So, and he does a great job. Ray's one of my favorite guys. I'm not just saying it because I play with him, but <laughs> when I sit down, I when I listen to Ray, yeah, he's calling the game like I like to think I see it as a former player. Mm-hmm. What he's picking up on is the stuff that hey, that's that's right. That's that's yeah. what I'm thinking too. So it's I, I really enjoyed how how Ray's come along. Yeah, he, I, you know, I got to know him, and I want to do this podcast before, of course, the TSN got a little upset. But the reason why was he doesn't just kiss everyone's ass. He's honest. He comes down on people when he thinks it's a bad play or what a guy could have done different, and that's, that's honestly and refreshing to hear. I like, as a guy watching a game, I like someone like Ray Ferraro telling me good and bad. You know, So I don't know how much you ran into that. Did you get yourself into some hot water with players or management for things you would say? How, how was your style? Obviously, I didn't listen to too many Thrasher's games, so well, how did that work for you? You know, I, I was never as outspoken as Ray. Like, yeah. Ray was always an outspoken guy, but you know what? He was outspoken for the right reason. Yep. And he, when he said he believed in it, mm-hmm. I was a little more reserved. You know, I, when I did the game, it was, I was more in the side of trying to find the good play in it mm-hmm. or the good side of it. Um, so probably should have had a little bit more of of that and just saying, you know what, this wasn't a really great play. This was a bad play by the defenseman. He, it was brutal. <laughs> you know, I should have been more honest about it probably. Yeah. Uh, or how about, uh, it, it, how about uh, Kovalchuk probably could have back-checked a little harder right there, folks. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> maybe that you probably wanted to say that a few times. You know, I'm really, I think Kovalchuk could have really maybe come inside the blue line a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, maybe probably could have. You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, hey, how does a guy – okay, so Brandon Wheat Kings played in Brandon. Decent junior career. Uh, undrafted, though. Uh, did you think you would be drafted? Were you shocked you weren't? How did that process go? I mean, uh, like, again, looking at your numbers, uh, you know, I wasn't following junior hockey back then, but you seem like a guy that – obviously you put up some PIMS, um, but you seem like a guy that could get drafted. You seem like a place – a guy who could find a home. Well, I thought and I was hoping. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in, in my draft year, I think I had like 32 goals and yeah. 60 points and 280 penalty minutes. And, you know, and, and the team I played on, unfortunately, was not very good. Okay. And uh, to be honest, a knock on was me. Nobody thought I could skate at the NHL. You know, they thought I had a, I do not have a smooth skating style. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was painful watching me go up and down the ice. And, that was the biggest knock. And they said, yeah, he's tough. But 30, goals is 30, could... 30 goals is 30 goals. I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah. I, and that's what I kind of felt. And <laughs> there's a couple teams that told me, yeah, if you're still there in the sixth round or seventh round, we're going to take you. Yep. So I went into the draft uh, as my, in my 19-year-old thinking I was going to get drafted. And then, you know, the round just kept going by further, further, further. And I was <laughs> hoping maybe they lost my number or couldn't get a hold of me. And <laughs> right. <laughs> By that night and the next day, I realized, you know what? I'm not getting drafted. Yeah, crushing. And uh, right. it was. It was devastating. And luckily for me, um, I had a, a guy from named Chuck Grillo mm-hmm. who was working with the Minnesota North Stars. He gave me a call, and he said, you know what? we got this development camp going on down in Brainerd, Minnesota. And, you know, we've had a lot of reports on you, and some of our guys wanted you to get drafted, but we ended up taking other guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you be interested in coming to this camp this summer? So I said, sure. So before my 20-year-old year, I went down to Brainerd, Minnesota, spent about six or seven weeks there mm-hmm. and worked my tail off and eventually, you know, got a tryout with the Minnesota North Stars. Wow. So 
that would have been a pretty big deal for you to say, hey, we want you to at least come to camp. That was huge. Right. Like, that was right. absolutely, you know, and so I went to Minnesota, mm-hmm. and uh, my junior coach at the time was a guy named Doug Sauter. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, you know what, Augie, it's great you're going to camp, but nobody there really knows you. Mm-hmm. He says, you don't, you don't have a contract, you're not drafted. He says, when you go there, you have to make them write your name down every time you're on the ice. And, you know, I kind of thought about that, and I got on my first ever plane ride and went down to Kalamazoo, Michigan. And, you know, and sure enough, I just kept thinking the whole time, you know, I'm going to make an impression. I got to do something here. I got to find Shane Churla ASAP. (laughs) Actually, it was Basil McCray. Oh, Basil, okay. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. We ended up fighting four times oh, geez. in a matter of two shifts in the first scrimmage. <laughs> and then I fought Larry De Palma. I had, I had six fights in the first two games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then finally, they just kicked me off the ice. <laughs> they kicked me off the ice. <laughs> but, Peter Paget finally, because Basil and I wouldn't stop fighting. McCray is just so like, who is, this, who is this kid? Yeah. Stop it. What are you doing? It's my first day off summer vacation. You want to fight all the time. And then he got mad. <laughs> right. So no, he wants to fight all the time, and neither one of us is going to quit. So <laughs> at least they wrote my name down. Right, and, right. You know, mission, mission accomplished. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, made the impression, and ended up uh, getting sent back to junior for my 20-year-old year, and, you know, had another good year, and then I uh, was a free agent, so I ended up having an offer from either the Vancouver Canucks, or then San Jose was coming in the year in right. the league, not that year, but the following year. Yeah, yeah, they'd get, get, so yeah, get drafted a year early. Yeah, so I think it started signing guys, so I ended up, could sign the same deal with either team, and I figured I'd have a better chance with San Jose, so I signed a deal with the San Jose Sharks, and the only problem was they didn't have a team that year. Right. So they had a they had a team they had to find a team for me to try out for. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Brainerd, and I'm working out there this summer. And they call me in the office, and they say, "You know what, Audrey? You know we know you're you're tough and you play hard and stuff. We want to work on your skill. Right. So we're gonna send you, we're gonna send you to Finland to try out for a team." And I was like, what? I didn't even know where Finland was. Yeah, yeah. Right, you know, yeah. So I ended up getting, getting a passport, and they sent me over to Finland. And I was there for about a month. And, you know, it was good, but, you know, there were imports over there. They only allowed two imports. And they wanted an import that was going to lead their team in scoring and, yeah. and everything. And, and I wasn't going to be that guy. Well, but, also, too, like if your skating needs work, you got the international ranks, you're like, oh, i got to get all the way over there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a long way to go. Right, right. <laughs> but no, it was it was a great experience. No, it, it was awesome, and they sent me back and uh, went to Kansas City. They're an expansion team in the International Hockey League, mm-hmm. so it worked out perfect. That's uh, that's where I started my pro career. Crazy. Um, so the San Jose comes the inaugural season. Uh, San Jose comes, and you played sixty-one games. Did you make it out of camp, or did they call you up? Was that sixty-one kind of split? Well, it was kind of funny. Um, I went to that camp, and I was all excited. And this ready, would have been you know. uh, George Kingston, right? He was the first George coach. George Kingston, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we go through camp, and the first set of cuts come around, and I'm one of them. I'm okay. sent home. Yeah. You know, sent back to Kansas City, and I'm, I'm really disappointed. Yeah. And I remember having my exit meeting with all the GM and everybody. I said, you know what? I, I probably knew it wasn't going to start here, but... 
you know, I really wanted to play an exhibition game just to see yeah. where I was at. So they sent me down to Kansas City, and then they ended up calling me back for an exhibition game. And we were playing Minnesota. <laughs> and that's when I found Shane Turla. Okay, so that was Turla, right. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So we ended up fighting a couple times in that game. Then they sent me back to Kansas City. Played the first 11 games of the season with Kansas, with Kansas City. And then they called me. And they were in New York playing the Islanders. And that's where I got the call to come up and play my first ever NHL game. Undrafted, yeah. Now you're on a sh- now you're a San Jose Shark. Probably again, you didn't know where San Jose was, but you're like, oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, first game against the Islanders. So okay, yeah. So eleven games in, they call you up. They're like, we need some help. Yeah. And uh, George Kingston uh, was a coach, mm-hmm. and probably one of the the men I had the utmost respect for in National Hockey. Just the way he carried himself, so mm-hmm. respectful, and treated people the way you want to be treated. And I remember him calling me in the office and for the game, and he said, you know, we've called you up, and you're not just here to fight. You know, we want you to play. We want you to play hard. And and I wasn't listening to a word he said because I already knew I was going after Mick Fakoda the first time they got out in the ice. Right. So, so, so the second shift ended up fighting Mick Fakoda. We don't want you and, to fight uh, right, ASAP, and then you go out and you start beating up Mick Fakoda. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then I was able to settle down. Let me get that out of the way. And yeah, I just you know what it just went from there, and I got to play on a line with uh, Paul Fenton and uh, Dean Evison, mm-hmm. you know, two veteran guys in the league, and spent a lot of time that season playing with them. And you know, it was at some point didn't win a lot of games, yeah, but but it was a great fit for me. It was an opportunity for me to get myself established in the National Hockey League and play with you know some quality people also. It's probably a great move for you to take pick San Jose over Vancouver. Like, you knew you could get some time. Like, yeah, you're losing, and maybe that kind of sucks, but you're learning the ropes, right? Like, Yeah, and, and I don't know if that was just stupidity or good luck or whatever when I did it because, you know, at 19, you're just go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Vancouver had a team right there you could try and make. But yeah. you know, I did have a personal relationship with a lot of the people that from Minnesota that went to San Jose. Um you know, once again, Chuck Grill, he was one of the guys that went. Right. Um, you know, Dean Lombardi was involved. Jack Ferraro was involved. Um, so there was a lot of people in the San Jose side that I also had a personal connection to. And, and you're right. As it turned out, I, it was a great move for me. I had a, had a coach that, you know, believed in me, uh, mm-hmm. you know, played me in situations and really got myself established that, you know, paid off even farther down the road at the end of the career when I was looking for for a place to play the Thrashers, George Kingston was involved with Atlanta when they picked me up off of waivers. Oh, he was? So okay, I didn't know these, that. Yeah. All these relationships that you build and things you do, sure. it just kind of you know carries on down the road. That would have been that first year Doug Wilson was captain, right, I think? Yeah, uh, we, yeah. yeah. Doug Wilson was there. We had, uh, like I said, Kelly Kissio. Yeah, Kissio. Uh, Perry Berazan. Uh, Joey Mullen was on that team. Brian Hayward. Oh, Hayward. Uh, yeah, I remember on. from the Jets, right? Yeah. Yeah, so there was a lot of guys. You know, Neil Wilkinson, Rob Zettler was on that team. Uh, Wayne Presley, uh, Perry Anderson, Pat Falloon was drafted out of there. Yeah. Sanis Oslinch was on that team. So it was. Uh, it was just sort of a. Yeah. Actually, like a- you know, Sanis came the second year. But no, it was, it was pretty. 
pretty good experience. You uh, were you working on your skating at this point? Like, were you like, was that a big thing that was holding you back, or at some point did you all of a sudden did something click in you? Like again, like I look at your career, eight hundred games played, undrafted. Like it's uh, you know, you're a captain later on, and we'll get to that. But at some point, like, did your skating improve, or did you figure this game out where you're like, I can play in this league? Well, I think probably going to Brainerd, uh, like they were really on the cutting edge of conditioning then. Mm-hmm. And I think probably my training in the summer and the training we had for the way I skated, I had to be in unbelievable shape. And I think they had shown me how to get myself there okay. and what working out was. And yeah, so yeah. I think probably just having them show me and, you know, working out, working out in Saskatchewan, you do your bench press, you do your curls or whatever, and mm-hmm. you weren't. We're <laughs> worried about squats in your legs. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. You know, and I went there and we started doing leg strength. We started doing core. We started doing something crazy called plyometrics. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and jump squats and measuring how fast you do the 50 yard run and your jump speed and all those things that I was training all summer made me quicker and, and they did make me a better skater. So that to me was the key to me making it. The, the training techniques that they had along with conditioning, mm-hmm. that was what it was able to allow me to stay there. And I had to figure out the game. I, and I had to know my role. I knew how I had to play. And, you know, I did score quite a few goals in junior, so I had a bit of yeah. scoring touch. And I was allowed, uh, you know, when I got some ice time, I was able to capitalize on that a bit. So, you know, we're just a total one-dimensional player. Right. So that kind of combination and having the right people believe in me at the start really gave me an opportunity to establish myself. Do, am I drunk, or do I remember you playing some defense? Is that Did that ever happen, or no? Yeah, you must have been drinking. Okay, all right. I could have. I yeah. thought, obviously you're a winger, but I thought that at some different points you dropped back, or I was trying to think, like, didn't he play some? Because I remember, obviously being a Leaf fan, uh, you had a, an epic series with them, and um, I thought that they tried you back there or something here or there. But okay, all right, never mind. Yeah. Um, I tried to Google to see if that was true, and I couldn't find anything, so hence I probably shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> um, so 93, so you're staying with the team. Kingston gets fired. Constantine comes in. And I, I, I don't know Kevin Constantine. I've read books and I've read lots of articles about him. He seems like a coach that would really like Jeff Odgers. No, he, Kevin was good for me. Yeah, yeah. like he's a defensive he really... coach, grind your wing, stay up and down your wing, right, and kind of give him an honest yeah, effort. Kevin... Kevin was all about structure, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and playing a system. And, you know, he was, when he took over that team, um, you know, it was kind of funny. The first year he was there, mm-hmm. we had the line of Larry Onoff, Makarov, and Garpenloff. Garpenloff, right, yep. Yeah, they were that line, and Oz Lynch and Jeff Norton were the defensive pairing. Mm-hmm. And I think I think there was a little bit of friction at the start. I, I You know, <laughs> I, I think Kevin wanted those guys to play a certain way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Makarov and Larionov, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, it there's there's some those stories of, of them, like Makarov apparently told Constantine, you're a bad coach or something, or something about, <laughs> yeah. a, something about a whiteboard. And, yeah, I just read a, a history in hockey news about that. So <laughs> Yeah, and it was, you know, and to Kevin's credit, mm-hmm. and whether it was, you know, by his choice or he was forced into it, those five guys were allowed to play how they wanted. <laughs> Whatever they wanted to and, do, right? Yeah, and the rest of us, the other three lines, played his system to a T. Mm-hmm. 
And you know what? He had a bunch of guys who were young guys like myself or guys who picked up off waivers. And you had no choice but to play the way he wanted to. Right. And you know what? We beat out the Detroit Red Wings in seven games. Yeah. And took the Toronto Maple Leafs to seven games that year. You know, we were up uh, three, three to two. The two in game six in overtime, and Yohan Garfinoff hit the crossbar. Trust me. Like, tell, we me hey, tell me about it. I'm a Leaf fan. I remember. Good God. <laughs> I was freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was crazy though. Yeah. Like, it, and it was just a, a hard working team with some, with some skill, you know, some guys that could do some damage and, uh, and an Urbe and, and we'll talk about Urbe in a second. Cause I got it. I got to find out what this guy was about, but, um, <laughs> what was like, I, Ray disagrees with me. I talked, we did one of these with Ray and I said, Makarov should be in the hall of fame. He's one of the greatest players ever. You know, his, his prime was well gone by the time he showed up in the NHL and he was still great. What was he like? Is he, was he a weird dude or was, what was his? What was Sergei Makarov like? I like Mac. Like, Mac was, he was to himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't know if, how many of the guys really got to know Mm -hmm. Mac. You know what I mean? Like, he's just not a real outgoing guy. Right. But, you know what? He played hard. And honestly, every time he fell down on the ice, it should have been a penalty. Yeah. Like, if. The guy was around him. The only time he went down was when he was hauled down. Yeah, when he was, yeah. His, his center of gravity and his ability to, to protect the puck mm-hmm. and strengthen the puck was unlike anything I've seen. You know, and he was, he played hard. He must you know, have looked, oh, sorry, go ahead. Had a lot of respect for him. He must have looked at you and just went, wow, that's not how I play the game. I do not play like Jeff Rogers. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> I remember I came to camp, and uh, first day of camp, I was on their line. <laughs> it was, it was, and I'm sure they went into the coach and said, we're going home. We've got to play with this guy. Seriously, we're, we're who, done. Who can forget the Larry Onuf, Makaroff, Odgers line? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. But, yeah. Yeah, and that was like for me. It was like, oh yep. man, this is unbelievable, you know. And I'm out there trying to, you know, play yeah. like uh, Sergey and Igor. It didn't go so well. Yeah, and uh, and Larry Onoff, uh, more of an outgoing guy, huh? More of a funny kind of outgoing guy, a smarter guy, smaller guy, small dude, and uh, got it done though. Yeah, and another guy with a, with a great personality, and another guy that just certain guys you just talk to, mm-hmm. and they just automatically command respect. Just the way he carried himself, like it was, it was first class. Mm-hmm. Like of all the Russian guys that I played with, and you know, he would be by far the guy that would I would say, okay, there is your yeah your Hall of Fame class. What right, represents right. what hockey's all about. Um, that series with the Leafs, what do you remember from it? Like obviously, like I said, you had a three to two series lead. Um, and then you went into overtime. I think Gartner scored for the Leafs in San Jose, and yeah. then went back to Game Seven. And I want to say in Game Seven was just wasn't it just four to one Leafs or something? I don't I don't remember exactly what it was. But what do you remember about that series? It was epic. You know what I do? I remember Game Six and Game Seven. Wendell Clark, how good he was. You know, I, I'm pretty sure Wendell scored two goals in Game Seven. Yeah, I think if so. I'm not yeah. mistaken. You know, he he really upped up his game. And, you know, I just, for our point of view, I just remember how resilient we were mm-hmm. in the Detroit and the Toronto series. Because there were some games we lost where, you know, we got beaten pretty handily. 
Yeah. And everybody say, okay, it's their series now. Yeah. And we had a team that just kept believing and just came back and, you know, just resilient. That's probably what I remember most about that series. And then, like I said, game six and seven, I really thought, you know, Wendell Clark was a difference in that series. How did you never fight Wendell? I looked up your fights. You never fought Wendell. It's amazing. They always had too many other guys. There was always Baumgartner and Tommy yeah. King, and you know, so I had my pick. Like by the time I got to Wendell, I would have been played out. Yeah, yeah, no, it's pretty amazing because Wendell's one of my favorite players growing up. So I went on and checked to see if you ever if you ever brawled him, and never happened. But uh, the Detroit series that was Jamie Baker, right, scoring the winner. Yes, it was um, late. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember that was just huge at the time. That was so massive, such a massive upset. Uh, Detroit was, I want to say, they were, well, they were number one in the conference. You guys were the eighth-ranked team. But I, I think Detroit was the best team in the league even. Like, it was nuts. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, they were coached by Scotty Bowman. Yeah. And, you know, there wasn't anybody that gave us a chance. And you know what was another benefit in that series is that they had the 2-3-2. Two, two. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, which was huge because we were able to get the split in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And then go back to San Jose for three. And, you know, for a visiting team in that format, if you can get a split in the first two games, it really takes almost takes away home ice advantage, if you ask me. Right. And, and there again, just resilient. Like, we got beat a couple games, you know, by four and five goals. Mm-hmm. And we were able just to come back and find a way. And, and you mentioned Archer Zerbe. He was unbelievable. Yeah, what was up with Arthur's Urbe? <laughs> like this whole let's talk about Arthur's Urbe, his whole career. Uh, just he's had his own gear and that helmet, and it's like he's five foot five or whatever. <laughs> but the guy could stop a puck. Wow, he could, and he was such an interesting guy. <laughs> it seemed and like just, it, yeah. you know, and just off the ice, just a nice, nice man. Yeah, you know, worked out hard. You know, he ran marathons in in the summer. Mm-hmm. It could bench press as much as most of our tough guys. And he had his own gear. He fixed his own gear. And he wouldn't start getting dressed before a game till about six minutes before warm-up. <laughs> and there's other guys like me that are ready like an hour and a half before the game, right. ready to go. Right. And here's Arthur. And then I remember, was it game six or game seven? He realized he had a hole in his catching glove. So he brings out his sewing kit, and he's sewing up his glove and his equipment about three minutes before we're going up a warm-up, and I'm having a heart attack here because, you know, we've got to get up here. But, but that was him. You know, that, yeah. that was him. He had his own quirky style, and you know what? He, he worked hard, and he just he got it done, you know? Yeah. And if you look at this, you know, your prototypical goalie of today, Arthur is nothing like that. You know, he was <laughs> no. short, he was stocky, and, you know, but he just he had yeah. an unbelievable conditioning level and an unbelievable compete level. You ever say to him, "Hey, Arthur's, what's up with your helmet? What are we doing with the helmet? What's up with that?" Yeah. <laughs> no, when your goalie's playing, you, you, just, you just leave more. Right? Yeah, just, just that's it. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> goalies are at a whole different level. You just leave them alone. They can do whatever they want as long as they stop the puck. Uh, you became captain of the Sharks, which again is is an awesome achievement. And it's how does that happen? Huh? Who who gives you the captaincy? How does that work? And and did you were you surprised or did you did you know it was coming? Or, or talk about that a little bit. Well, what they had done, and this is what means the most to me, is when they decide who's going to be captain, they let the players vote on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they put in the votes, and the players voted for me. 
That's awesome. So, yeah. so to me, that meant the most. It's not somebody in management giving it to your coach. It's your teammates, and it's the guys that that's who I respected, and that's who, you know, you should be your captain. They're, is a, who the guys want. And mm-hmm. to me, that's what meant the most to me is the teammates voted on it, made me captain. And I was surprised, you know, for a guy that, you know, played my role in the amount of ice time I played and stuff to be named captain was was an honor. Mm-hmm. It, it really was. It was, you know, one of the high points of, of my NHL career. To And, you know, let's face it, when you're said and done, it, it probably means more to me now when I think back of it. And, sure. You know what? Yeah. You're captain of a National Hockey League team, and that's, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, again, as a guy on the couch that just watches the games, you hear about the captaincy all the time, you know, Messier and Jonathan Taze. And, like, how much work, extra work, is it being a captain? What kind of captain were you? I mean, were you were you the guy, you know, getting on guys in the dressing room? Were you a guy calling meetings? Like, how much work and how much does, does that sort of affect a team you know, in the in the, in a league, in the league, like because I feel like the media, like none of us know. You know, we always, if a team wins, it's because the captain took them on their back. If the team loses, it's this guy's not good as a captain. Like, but we really don't know. But t- t- give me an idea of like stuff that you went through and stuff that you did and how you treated that. Well, I think for, for a guy like me, you know. I'm not going to get on Igor Larionov or Makarov or those guys and say, hey, you got to play better because their game's so different than mine. Mm-hmm. You know what? For me, I just went out and I tried to control what I controlled. You know, how hard I worked. You tried to wear the jersey with pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you hoped guys would follow that. And just, you know, your work ethic would rub off on them. And, you know, if you something had to be done or addressed, you, you know, you'd, you'd call a team mate, meeting. And really, as a captain, you're only as good as your team. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's very few guys that have that. You know, yeah, Messier can do that. He can mm-hmm. go in there and he can grab a guy and say, "Look, we need more out of you." But there isn't many guys that are like that. You know, like I played with Joe Sackett in Colorado, mm-hmm. and you know, he wasn't going to grab guys and get on guys. He was going to look after himself. And you're going to watch Joe play every night and say, "That's how I conduct myself." And that's how hard I got to work. Mm-hmm. We're going to be successful. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to cheat on pucks. You know, a guy like Joe Sackett could score 50 goals every year if he wanted to score goals. Yeah. But he took pride at both ends of the ice and the way he played. And, you know, and that's what made him such a great leader. So I think for a lot of guys, it's just you're made captain because you're a guy that plays it the right way. Right. And, you know, you carry yourself the right way and, and you do the right thing. So don't change if you get the C. Like, just keep doing whatever it is. Like, don't become – Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's harder when, you, when you're on a team that's not as good because mm-hmm. you put that extra pressure on yourself. Yeah. And you say, you know what, i got to start doing this, i got to start doing that. But you can't because then your own game starts to go downhill and you start worrying about everybody else. Right. You can only kind of control what you can control, and that's kind of how I approached it. You know, and right. I think probably towards the end, when I was captain, it was maybe one of the reasons why I did end up getting shipped out of San Jose. Oh, okay. Is that, yeah. you know what, they looked at it and, and you look at it and say, you know what, I think we need somebody else, a higher profile guy. Mm-hmm. The team comes along and you're looking for a higher profile guy to wear the seat. 
and, and they don't you know, want to. Yeah, that, and they don't too. want to strip it. They don't want to take it off, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, and uh, so, and that's just you know an opinion mm-hmm. of mine, and yeah, you know well, it worked out, but it's. How much? Uh, how much shit is there? Uh, wives, girlfriends, um, tipping the trainers, that kind of stuff that takes up your time, or is that a big deal, or is that stuff that happens in a room of guys that are around each other so often? I mean, is that kind of stuff go on? I don't need you to give any examples, but you know what I mean. Like, did that take up some of your time? Oh, it did. There's certain things you gotta you gotta manage. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and especially your training staff. If there's a problem with players, that has to be addressed right away. Mm-hmm. Because those guys are huge. Yeah, they are so important to the team and the work they do. So if there's something that's they're not getting treated the right way, or they're getting yeah, I heard not used the right way, or yeah. taken advantage of, you have to make sure. Look, this gets looked after because we need these guys on board because they're invaluable what they do. Yeah, I heard a story like uh, everyone tips the trainers. You know, Christmas or at the end of the year, and someone. Someone shorted them a little bit or wouldn't give them any money. And the, kind of the, the captaincy guys had to pull the dude aside and be like, look, you have to tip these guys out. You know, don't, don't treat them right type deal. So just things like that, right? Yeah, and what we ended up doing there is we just we made it, we collected money from every player. So the, the trainers were guaranteed so much. Yeah, yeah. And then guys, and then guys could tip on top of that if right. they wanted to. Like, you know, some guys used the masseuse and other guys didn't. Right. So, you know, there's a certain guy that did mm-hmm. more for you or used more than, you know, you looked after him. But, you know, that was one thing you made sure that there was at least they got looked after to a certain point, and then it was up to everybody else after that. Um, so, yeah, like you said, getting traded to Boston, you kind of knew that was coming. You got traded for Ally Afraidy, um, which actually sucks because I wish you had some Ally Afraidy stories. It seems like everyone does have some. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you got, did you know, like you said, you kind of knew that was coming? You weren't that surprised when they shipped you to Boston? Not really. No, mm-hmm. I, the trade deadline uh, when, during while the season was going on, there was you know I heard rumblings, and I knew I was close to going to a couple other places. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when Boston made the deal, um, right at draft day, there it was, it was a surprise. Yeah, but at the same point, I was pretty excited because Boston was my favorite team growing up. Oh, they were. Yeah, and you know getting to play for an original six team, and unfortunately that year just turned out to be a total disaster. We ended up last in the league and you know pat burns came in and he brought in his guys and you know before the next season started they called me in and said i was going to the minors so i ended up i ended up in providence and they said that's pretty much where we got planned for you and i was i was devastated right you know here i went from like i said i was the captain in san jose right Played one year for the Bruins, and you know the year didn't go well. And now I'm in the minors and might be done. Right. Yeah. You know, so it was like totally devastating. I it just and normally, you know, I took pride in be able to be able to see some things coming. Mm-hmm. But I, I never seen that coming at all. Yeah. Well, especially and, Burn, uh, yeah, Pat Burns seems like you know again a guy that you could play for. Well, that's what I thought, and you know, but he he wanted to bring in people he knew. He brought in Kenny Baumgartner. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that was, you know, who he felt comfortable with, and that's who they went with. So that's his choice. It's his team. Um, and luckily for me, that's when I went down to Providence, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, my agent went to work and was on the phone all the time. Right. And uh, was able to work out a deal with, with Colorado. And But I needed to get bought out from the Bruins in my last year of my contract. And, you know, Harry Sinden mm-hmm. was awesome to me the whole time in Boston. 
He really was the way he treated me. And when I went into him, he was Tommy McVie was my coach in Providence. And uh, Harry Sinden came to him and said, "You know what? Uh, Colorado wants Aji, and we got a chance to move him on. What do you think?" Mm-hmm. And Tommy McVie said to him, "He said, you know what? I'd love to have him here all year and work with our guys, but yeah. he's got a chance to play. Sure, let's let him go." So we worked out a buyout, and then I went out to uh, to Colorado, and I went from a team that finished last in the league to a team that was a Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, so I walk in the room and like, holy man, you know, you got Sackick and Forsberg and Waugh and Foote and Lemieux and Curry and all yeah. these Valerie Kaminsky, Uli Krupp, like, it was just, holy man. Um, so I went there, and it was just a, a great situation. And, you know, a team that was ran so first class, like Pierre Lacroix, the way he ran that uh-huh. team was, was unbelievable, the way you were treated. And all those guys that I mentioned, you know, a lot of them are Hall of Fame guys, but sure. they're – they were great people, too. And you know what? They played the right way. They had won a cup the year before, mm-hmm. so they knew what it took. And it was just, uh, you know, it was really good for me because I'd always played on teams that had struggled and, you know, we're under 500. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have an idea of what it's like in a winning dressing room. And to get to Colorado and you see how these guys played and how they conducted themselves was was awesome for me. And to have a kind of find a role, although it was limited, you know, you're definitely a fourth-line guy there. Yeah. But... For me, I knew where I stood. I knew my role. I knew what I was supposed to do, which which almost made it easier. Was it Mark Crawford would have been coach, I guess? Was that? Yeah, Mark Crawford was coach for the first year. Yep. And then Bob Hartley was coach uh, for year two and three in Colorado. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, and again, like just being around these guys, uh, Forsberg, Sackick, uh, like you said, Curry, um, crazy. Like just you must have been just sometimes in practice watching these dudes going, wow. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you do your drills and stuff, and it's just like the skill level they had. You do your down low drills where you play five on five, and the fourth line to get matched up against the first line. <laughs> Every time you got scored on, you had to skate. So we, we did a lot of skating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what was Wall like as a teammate? You know what? Every you uh, Patrick Wall, I think everybody always asked me that. Yeah, and for sure. And when I went there, you kind of didn't know what it was going to be like because the way he came across. Mm-hmm. But I got to know Patrick pretty well as a teammate. And if there was ever a goaltender that should have been a captain, Patrick Wall was it. Yeah. He, he lived, breathed, eat, and slept hockey. You know, we, we lived in the same neighborhood, so we mm-hmm. rode to the rink lots together. Mm-hmm. And... You know, there'd be nights where I'd play, you know, four minutes or some nights, eight minutes, whatever. Yeah, yeah. He would remember He would remember every shift. Every play of the hockey game, he'd remember. Wow. Whether it was a power play, penalty yep. kill, and, you know, and everything he did was for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that reason was to help the team win. And so any remarks that he'd said that come across as however you perceived them, yeah. there was a motive behind them. And right. it wasn't It wasn't selfish. It wasn't for Patrick Waugh. It was to help the Colorado Avalanche win, and that's what Patrick was all about winning. So he, to me, I was mm-hmm. really happy. I, I got a chance to play with him and get to know him, and just to kind of see how what a competitor he was. Yeah, I think a lot of his his uh, public persona comes from his the way he left Montreal. 
you know, he was he was pissed. He was left in the net. Comes up to the owner, you know, or the GM, and tells him like that's his last game, and he never plays again. And I think people judge him on that. I, I don't know if that was a great move. Like just again from a guy from a fan, it didn't look like a great move. But that one thing you do sometimes makes your rep one way or another. You know, so you know, I think the the one thing with Patrick, it's all about respect. Like. Yeah. I don't think there's probably a guy that ever wore the well. There's a lot of guys wore Canadian jersey, but he yeah. respected that jersey, right? And he respected the game. And you know, in my opinion, he really felt he was disrespected by being left in that game. Yeah, for nine, for got, nine, yeah. And it just got to the point where you know when you get so mad and you just you can't control yourself, and you <laughs> yeah. just when when he went up and said that, you know, he was to that point where <laughs> you can't control yourself, and I'm sure, yeah. You know, after he said that, he he probably calmed down and said, "Oh my God, what have I done?" Yeah, yeah, it's cr- crazy, it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then again, Sackick, like you said, just a class guy. You're about the third or fourth person that's told me that. Just unbelievable, dude. Um, you know, now of course him and Patrick running the Avalanche, by the way. Um, but uh, great guy and uh, an underrated, probably still underrated, as good as he was. Well, and it, Joel was just. It was never about him. You know, he never, ever, you know, attracted attention to himself. He just showed up at the rink every day, did his job, and just what a treat to watch play. It, you know, and the release he had was unbelievable, the way he get that shot off. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and he just did it. You know, when they won the gold medal, what was that, 2002? Yep. Salt Lake that City? Game right, that, yeah. Yeah. The game that he played, I think, was probably one of the best games I've ever seen an individual play, yeah, in that, in that gold medal game, yeah. he was, he was unbelievable, and he had the ability to turn that game up and, and be one of the best players in the world when he wanted to. You, uh, you lost in the conference finals to the Stars with the uh, game seven. Could have, could have maybe uh, gone to a Cup final the next year. They won the Cup, but you were in Atlanta by then, so yeah. probably one of those things where you're like, shit. <laughs> I actually drove the game seven though. Oh, did you? Yeah? Yeah. No, I was actually at Game 7 when they won the Cup. Oh, that's and cool. It was, it was, you know, it was cool to watch, but at the same point, it was kind of yeah, it was hard to watch just because, you know, you went through it for three years, and then and, and it was a good move for me to go to Atlanta. It, it was time. Yeah. You know, okay. it, it was time for me to go. Did, and Did you go you in know, the, allowed me get, to, getting back to the Cup final, though? Sorry, I interrupted. Did you go into the room afterwards? Yeah, I did. Oh, okay. And everybody, yeah. how was yeah. everybody with you? Like, was everybody cool? They were great. Yeah. No, it was it was awesome because it's you know it's your teammates and you know you kind of just pick up where you left off ever and it was I was happy for those guys. It really was. So mm-hmm. it didn't stick around too much, but I just yeah, yeah. I popped in and shook some hands. Hi, the guys. Congratulations. It was it was pretty cool to be a part of. So you're in Atlanta, expansion team again. Did you see some similarities between Atlanta and San Jose? There was. Yeah. You know, I think um, when you seen when I seen you know Kovalchuk and Heatley coming up, mm-hmm. you know you had those same high draft picks like you had an old one, and you had a balloon, right? And you know, and you had some veteran guys like Ray there, like Donald Andrett, like Andrew Burnett. There mm-hmm. were those character guys that held it together, and you know. We had flashes in my second year, made a playoff run, and we were kind of there, and then and then we fell off. Mm-hmm. And then, unfortunately for Atlanta, they just never were able just to build on it and get going. You know, when I was doing the radio there, they made the playoffs once. Yeah. 
that's you know, got swept by the Rangers. Right. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, they weren't able to go on that run. You look at all those teams in the Southeast. You look at Tampa Bay and Carolina. They were the same thing as Atlanta. Sure. But they were able to put together and win yep. and establish the market. And I really believe, you know, Atlanta, the market had that possibility to be like that if we just could have got a winning product in there to keep people coming. I think winning solves everything, whether it's the Florida Panthers. You know, the Blackhawks were a ghost town not that long ago, you know. And, well, when, yeah. when, I, when I was in the league, there was, you'd go there, there'd be eleven or 12,000 people in that arena. Yeah, yeah. You know, and all of a sudden they're able to turn things around, and now it's the franchise to model yourself after now. Sure, I know. It's funny how that works. People don't remember that, right? Like they're just living in the now. And, you know, as a fan, you remember, like, what's wrong with the Blackhawks and what's going on? Are they ever going to be good? Blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, for as bad as Atlanta was, looking at your numbers, you were only minus eight and minus three and minus 13. Like, it's not that bad. You were, <laughs> I mean, because it was not a great team, you know? So. No, it wasn't. Um, but like we talked a little bit before, it yeah. was just it, the quality of people that were there mm-hmm. made it one of my one of my favorite stops. Just the guys and the relationships that uh, you got to to meet. And, and for me, and that at the end of my career, and I kind of knew what Jeff Augers was about. I knew what I was going to bring mm-hmm. to the team, so I think I was able to enjoy it a little bit more uh, when you're younger. You're mad all the time because you still think you want that opportunity to score 20 goals or 25 goals. Right. And you want more ice time. You want – and going to Colorado was good because it kind of said, okay, this is what I do. This is what I bring to a team. Mm-hmm. And when I went to Atlanta, just because I went to a poor team, they're not going to put you on the first power play. They're not going to give you all this extra ice time. This is what you do. Mm-hmm. I was there, show up, you work hard, be a good – example for the younger guys to follow on and off the ice and you know be a good pro yeah and again you're a former captain so you're like hey i I don't have a letter or maybe you had an a i don't remember but you're like this is how you do it all you kids you know hey norm miracle in net back there this is how you do it (laughs) (laughs) hey normie uh ray 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 tells some great great atlanta thrashers goalie stories um I went to two games. I we we go I go, we go to the, we race in the Georgia Dome every year, and I go to cover it as part of my real job. So I would go to a game on Sunday or Friday when I flew in, you know. And yeah. I, I went to Leaf game once, and I think I went to a Carolina game, and it was crickets in there, man. Like, just you could hear a pin drop. It's a the Hawks got good attendance. The Falcons people love the Falcons. It's a huge college town, of course, but man. I, when I went to those two games, they were two diff, two separate years. I was like, "There's no way this franchise is going to survive. There's just no way. Nobody cares. Nobody's here." You know. So yeah, no, you're exactly right, and, yeah. and that, like I said, that's yep. bad because when they first came there, like I when I came there, there was good crowd. Was there? Okay, and there yeah. was, yep. and, and there was a buzz about it, and it was people were excited, and then I just kind of gradually, without building that playoff momentum and having that. Because let's face it, in the market of Atlanta, there there are so many choices mm-hmm. of things to do with your entertainment dollar. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not a hockey's not live and die. You know, your college sports and the NFL and the NBA, people have a lot of choices what to do. Yeah, and yep. unfortunately, just couldn't generate the momentum and the buzz to to keep people coming. All right, so Ferraro, 
mutual friend Ferraro, he sent me some stuff. Uh, we got to talk about this. <laughs> I said, I said, hey, I got a podcast coming up with Jeff Rogers. Give me some stories. He said, one of the best teammates I ever played with, and Ray played forever, so it's quite a compliment. Incredible character, tough as nails. So that's what that's a good that's a good thing he had to say. Yeah. He said, ask him about the missing missing stick goal in Anaheim. Do you know what you yeah. do you know what he's talking about? Yeah, I know what he's okay. talking about. What, what, we, um, there was a mission hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, had a I was tooling around with some sticks. Okay. And I and uh, so I had this stick that I just I just loved. Okay. So I was scared to I was scared to use it in a game because <laughs> it, <was, laughs> it was so a little good. Bit different curve and a little bit out of my comfort zone. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so we. Uh, I was going to use it for him, but no, I can't use it. So Andrew Brunette and Ferraro went and hit all my sticks. So you had to use. <laughs> so I had to use this this stick. So I go down my off wing. The first shot, I take a wrist shot, and it's just a laser off the bar and in. Wow! Yeah. And, like, yeah. <laughs> and so I skate by the bench, and I make a, like the YMCA sign and make a big M for mission hockey by the bench. And uh, the guys are absolutely killing themselves laughing because cause they hid my sticks. I yeah. had no choice but to use this stick before the game. Dude, it was the magic curve. Did you just keep it? Did <laughs> yeah. you keep that pattern the rest of the time? Well, I did for a while. Yeah, yeah. And then I realized I couldn't play with it. It was good to shoot, but I was more of a just kind of chip it off the board yeah, yeah. type of guy. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get too many one-timers in the slot to fully utilize it. That's hilarious. Okay, second story. <laughs> Running over Andrew Burnett's car in a parking lot. <laughs> what, what happened? Oh, man. I, I always drove a great big truck. Yeah. But a yeah, you're F-350, from Saskatchewan. Of course you did, right. Yeah. yeah. F-350 diesel. Yep. And uh, I had a big trailer hitch on the back. And uh, we're pulling airport parking at our where we flew out was really tight. Mm-hmm. So I pulled in, I whip in, and I got a back into a stall. Yep. So I pull in and I throw it in reverse. And unbeknownst to me, Andrew Burnett pulled in behind me. Oh, oh so shit. him, him okay. and Danny Lambert are behind me. Yeah. And he's in his wife's, I don't know if he had a, a Saab or an oh. Audi or whatever. Okay. So, anyways. I started back, and all of a sudden, bang! I run this my trailer hitch right through the hood of his car. <laughs> through the hood. I go oh, full, through the hood. I go forward, and I come back, and I hit the gas again because my foot goes down. So I I ramp this uh, trailer hitch right through the hood of his car, and him and uh, <laughs> Danny Lambert are in the car, and I'm on top of them with my truck. The only thing that would have made it better is if the airbags would have went off. Yeah. But yeah. I hit him up so high in the top of the hood that I was even above the bumper, but I ran right over his, oh. his car. I think I had to put it in four wheel drive to get off the hood of his car. And, and you were probably and, uh, you were poorer for it. I'm sure you had to write him a check, right? Oh. <laughs> and he was uh, well. Ray was sitting beside Andrew Burnett, and he was trying to sleep on the way to the wherever we were going. He, yeah. he, every ten minutes, he'd go, "I can't believe Audrey ran over my car." <laughs> <laughs> ran right into it. That's awesome. Uh, oh, man. All right. The third and final story for Jeff Rogers stepping on a puck in New Jersey morning skate. <laughs> oh. What, yeah. what, what, what was that all about? We are in Jersey toward the end of the year, and uh, we're doing these line rushes. And 
for whatever reason, I'm going to be Mr. Fancy. I come down, try and put a puck through my legs against a defenseman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I ended up stepping on the puck going 100 miles an hour, and I go head first into the end boards oh, in Jersey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the guys are all laughing. And then they realize. Like you're oh, really hurt. I'm getting. He's <laughs> <laughs> really hurt. <laughs> I ran my neck right into the end board. Dude, so they wow. pretty much carried carried me off. And I know the guys were trying not to laugh. Right, right. Because carried it, off. But, right. but it was so stupid, it was funny. Because here I was, what I was trying to do, put the puck between my legs, was, it was yeah. not me in the first place. But, oh, but after they found out I wasn't going to die, they all had a good laugh. <laughs> after that, right. All right, we'll wrap this podcast up here with a few more questions. Jeff Hodges on the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time for us. That's a, those are pretty funny stories. I'm glad Ray, uh, <laughs> Ray told me to do that. All right, uh, so this is, again, a standard question for you, I'm sure. Who's the toughest guy you fought? Oh. I don't know if you've well, looked at your I... fight totals or not, but Baumgartner, Domi, Probert, Rob Ray, Warren Reichel, six times you fought them each. Yeah. Um, probably probably Rob Ray was the toughest guy for me to fight. You yeah. know, your styles match up. Yeah, yeah. We we had some wars, and uh, he caught me some good ones. I think one time he cut me for probably about 25 stitches. Oh, geez. Wow. Eye and the forehead. And uh, I remember being so mad that I lost the fight. The doc came in Buffalo, and I wouldn't let him freeze me up. <laughs> I, so I made, I made the doc, which was really, I think back now, one of the stupidest things you have to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I made him stitch me up with no freezing because I was mad at myself for, God, for losing dude. The <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it was not very smart. But, uh, Are you an animal? <laughs> <laughs> Good God. McSorley knocked me out one night. That's on YouTube. Really, That's on YouTube, yeah. actually. Yeah, I uh, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I was. He got you one, one good one. Yeah, another kid that knocked me out was a young guy, uh, Stephen Pete for Washington. Oh yeah, and uh, he caught. He was a lefty, I was a righty. Mm-hmm. And uh, most times, I like that I could beat the guy coming in. Yeah, he he caught me, and uh, so I pop up like nothing's wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, they take me to the penalty box, and they're. So the linesman comes over, and I see the coaches and the players talking. And says, you got to go off. Yeah. I go, and I'm like, well, go off? What for? I'm like, I'm not bleeding. I'm fine. Yeah. So I take me to the training room, and a doctor who I knew pretty well, he said, uh, who are you playing? I went, uh, couldn't answer. <laughs> You're like, like what, shit. what period is it? Yeah. And I go, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> what did you have for pregame? So finally, I snap on a doctor. I said, just ask me something I know. This isn't working out too well. Jesus. So, so, they, so they have me get undressed. Mm-hmm. They won't let me play. Yeah. And that that was one of the first years I had that concussion baseline yep. uh, test. Yeah, the test. So we yeah. play New Jersey in two nights. Mm-hmm. So, And the protocol is you're not supposed to play once you get past the test. So they bring in this girl the next day at practice. And they throw me in this room and they ask me all these questions like name as many words as you can start with, with B or whatever, you know, yeah, all these right. stuff. And uh, so they, at the end, I ended up scoring higher the next day than I did in my first one. So they let me play the next day against Jersey. Yeah. So I think, I think they probably changed concussion protocol a little bit. There's some racers that I cover, you know, motorcycle racers that hit their head really hard and they do the same thing. They stay, take a baseline at the beginning of the year and they have to pass this baseline. And a lot of them do better. 
So I'm I'm always thinking to myself like, dude, this doesn't sound very good. You just you knocked. Your, I saw you knock yourself out on Saturday, and now you're passing it on Tuesday. You know, so yeah, yeah. I'm with hey, you. you know, on that. And, and it's hard with an athlete because you'll never say you're hurt. Right. No. No. Yeah. Absolutely. You want to play or race or whatever it is. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, was there a fighter that you like? I I see you fight Bashir, or like uh, Probert. Were you? Guys that you were like, oh, because, I mean, you know, you're not as tall as these guys. Were you thinking I'm in, I grabbed myself too much of a man here? <laughs> like, I got I got this guy's, this guy's too much? There's certain guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like Rashir was so strong. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he was a hard guy for me to fight. Yeah. Just because he, he was so much stronger. You know, like a guy like Jim McKenzie was the same way. You yeah. grabbed onto him and all of a sudden you can't move and you go, okay. Right. I, better, I better start ducking here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Probert was such a such a good fighter. You know, we had we had some pretty good scraps, like Stu Grimson was yeah. another guy, and you know that was probably my fight, my fault for kind of fighting outside your weight class a lot. Mm-hmm. But on a lot of the teams I was on, I was the guy that was going to do it. Yeah, there, there was nobody else that was going to do it, and you kind of took it upon yourself. So, no, there was lots of times that. You got into it, and but when it was over, you're like, I could have been hurt a lot worse than I was. So yeah, you know, yeah. thank God I got out of that alive. Right, right. But that was kind of part of what what my deal was too. You know, you look at guys, uh, you know, like Kelly Chase that played a lot of game, a lot of time and a lot of games. Mm-hmm. He the same way. You know what? You were that team guy that didn't care. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you, you did it for your team, and if it had to be done, you did it, and you you worried about it later. You know, another guy that was, you know, Tony Twist. Oh yeah, he, he was, was one of those guys that, that yeah. if he hit you, you were hurt. Yeah, he was a monster. You know, yeah. <laughs> if you made one mistake, something was going to break. Because either your nose, your orbital bone, your forehead, like that's just. There were certain guys then that were that tough. Would you uh, would you take your elbow pads off, or would you would you tie your jersey in a certain way, or would you do any sort of tricks of the trade? Uh not not really. No, uh, some guys that come out of their jerseys, I always tied tied down. Because I mean, you could score too. You could play the game, unlike some of the guys you're talking about. Like, you actually, you know, could grind up and down a wing and and pot the odd goal here. I guess that was some of your thinking too, where you're like, "Listen, I, I'm not just this goon." You know, some dudes just literally were there to just come off the bench and try to beat somebody up. Yeah, and and that was nice. And you know, the coaches kind of had that confidence in you that you could play in certain situations that allowed mm-hmm. you to yeah to play a little bit more. But you know, I. For me, I was always I knew that the fighting part was what I brought to. So you're scared not to do it because yeah. you're you're always insecure. You know, you always think that somebody's going to take your job or sure. whatever. So you, I never wanted to leave with the chance. I always wanted to make sure I was doing enough to stay. Um, who was the best trash talker you ever heard? Uh, who, who could chirp with the best? Probably the guy that. Matthew Barnaby, probably. Barnaby, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for playing against, he never shut up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, you know Domi talked a lot. Yeah. Um, it, it was kind of comical. So, yeah. yeah, those were probably a couple of the guys. What was the, uh, what was the best goal you ever scored? Would you have one that comes out in mind, a, a winner or one, you know, maybe the, maybe the Anaheim mission stick one? But uh... That would be up there. Um, <laughs> actually, Scored a goal against New Jersey mm-hmm. that game that I was uh, supposed to miss when I think I got knocked up by Stephen. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of uh, in midair and uh, shot the puck right into the bar. Kind of oh, sorry for a picture of it. That's that's one of my favorite 
favorite goal. Scored a goal in the winter um, when I was playing with uh, Colorado against Detroit in Game Five of the playoffs. Nice um, goal yeah. I scored, up being the winning goal of the game. Yeah. wasn't all that pretty, but it was you know a yeah, big yeah. goal to score. Um, well, again, and you're on the yeah. ice for it. You know what I mean? You're on the ice in a tie game, late in it. You know, so yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of cool. Well. Hey, Jeff, thank you for doing this, man. I took a little more of your time than I said I would, but good stories and a great career. Undrafted, almost a 1,000 games, and, like, you know, made a nice living from the game, and, and damn it, you almost won a cup, too. At least you're in the dressing room for it. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, man, it's uh, it's great. Like I said, you took the time. The guy you don't know, myself and Paul Pocky podcast here, and uh, I just want to thank you a lot. It was good. I uh, hope you enjoyed the little trip down memory lane. Good luck with everything, and, uh, yeah, thank you very much. No, it was fun. Anytime you can talk hockey, it's always a good time. Yeah, no doubt. All right, thanks, Jeff. Thank you very much. All right.